0: Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. If you're unfamiliar with us, Sales Schema is a fractional new business team for growth-focused marketing agencies and related marketing service companies. Today, we would like to give you free access to our latest webinar live training, and that's titled, How to Sell Agency Services in Uncertain Times. This webinar is going to show you how to prospect and generate meetings with your audience at scale effectively in a sort of a weird economic climate without hurting your brand. So to get tangible, some things that we did, we co- we basically did a live workshop on agency to brand prospecting with around 70 agency owners. We covered the multi-channel nurture process we have been using and that we're planning on using in the coming months for ourselves and our clients. And we covered thought leadership actions for plugging your agency into the right audiences and gener- generating inbound opportunities at scale. So if you'd like to get access to the free webinar, you can go to saleschema.com crisis prospecting, one word. Again, that's saleschema.com crisis prospecting. Today on the show, we have Clodagh Higgins, who's a digital agency coach, consultant, speaker, author, podcaster, based in the beautiful Irish countryside, and she works globally. She was behind the first known uh, four country agency merger. Or perhaps one of the few. Uh, and I, I really think this is a fun interview because we got into an international European perspective on agency life and work life balance, especially in the context of, of everything that we're dealing with now. So I think, you know, a lot of the times uh, us Americans can be a little America centric. Um, so it was really, really interesting to hear from Cloda and get her her experience on things. So without further ado, please give it up for Cloda Higgins. So to bring this to what you're doing, so you're working with lots of agencies, you've been mm-hmm. doing this for a number of years. Um, um and we've we've had different agency coaches on, but we, we haven't delved too much into this wider world of ours. We've been very North America centric. Um, so maybe we can start. I'd just love to hear, you know, how things are going for agencies in Ireland these days, what what the scene is like.
1: Yeah. That's big so I, I'm t- interesting enough, I don't actually work with a lot of Irish agencies. In <laughs> fact, I, I'm European, um, uh, as in it's just it's handy to live in Ireland. We're the only English speaking uh, country in the European Union, seeing as England's about to jump out. Uh, and so I, I kind of work internationally. And, and basically what I'm seeing currently at the moment, you know, it's it's the first of June like 2020 That's weird. we've gone through i know what's happened like it's so weird no. we've gone through obviously this massive disruption in the world but pretty much all the agencies i talk to have found new opportunities have pivoted really well have worked from home really well you know what agency owners are like they're tenacious hard-working bunch um some of them are like you know do or die kind of attitude and uh, so overall here in europe um basically because there's been a lot of government assistance. It's been clear about the messages. And I just love agency owners because they're just damn hard working. So they've just rolled their sleeves up and figured out new ways to work remote, work with their clients, do business, work with new clients, offer new services. Um, I, I feel, you know, apart from the health side of things, it's, um, you know, and obviously the challenges that are going on in the world, quite optimistic for the agency community.
0: Yeah yeah and you know here in the states uh i guess there's there's a lot of different work life models for for agencies i think that it, it it's probably easier to bring agency work remote than a lot of other areas of of business um, Yeah, and my my experience is, is from the new york agency world which is just you know very buzzsaw 24/7 sort of sort of environment mm-hmm. i'd love to hear your perspective a little bit on um, the european work-life models and specifically you know where you've worked how people have been working and are changing things up now yeah and so on. Yeah.
1: So there's a kind of a couple of factors so i used to work at hubspot they've a large office here um in in dublin i'm now in the west of ireland so i'm in pretty much in the countryside uh, and a company like hubspot and a lot of the tech companies are based in mm-hmm. dublin so you've got google LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, HubSpot, all the EMEA headquarters are based in Dublin and a lot of those tech companies did support working remote. So you could be in the office maybe three days a week, work from home two days a week and what that meant was any agencies that are associated with those tech companies, they very much got used to uh, supporting their staff. So I feel that the work from home and maybe you can sort of check this on the American side of things Dan is it's actually a mindset Um, you know if you had this old school attitude of you've got to be in the office to do your work uh, like that just didn't cut it it wasn't you weren't it was more difficult for those companies to transition to working from home and being results-orientated. Um, so I think what I've seen is the tech scene in Ireland, Europe, has been very supportive of people working from home. Therefore, the agencies in that ecosystem had got used to learning about their you know, sales representative, their channel consultants, their marketing contacts were working from home. So I feel like agencies sort of by osmosis picked up that perhaps their staff could work one day a week. So when this change in our lockdowns came in over here, within a couple of days, agencies were at home. They were using Slack and Zoom. They were ironing out some communication bugs and they were. it was business as usual for them. The so HubSpot, the same, Google, all the, everyone, it was the same because their mindset was very much, we can do this. What has been the struggle is their clients who staffed enough laptops, had no clear KPIs on how to work, had kids at home. So that was even more um, difficult for them. So the agency's clients, some of them struggled and some of them just had to go pause. Uh, What's happened now is though, you know, everyone's sort of going, oh, we're going back to work, but we know that we're not going back the same way. We have to figure out desking, safety, children aren't some children aren't at school yet so it's not actually physically possible for the worker to go back to the office so what's happening here is just a lot of flexibility a lot of companies have said we're not opening up for the rest of the year you can work from home for the rest of the year so what do those uh, people in their fancy offices or what do the companies do with those beautiful offices in the center of town with a massive rent do it's uh, it's quite interesting actually
0: yeah, yeah, there, there's there's lots to talk about with the way cities are probably going to change and, and so on. But one thing you mentioned is is this sort of this new premium um getting put on results and results-oriented workers and, and that sort of thing, which can mean a lot of different things. So I, I guess my question is what what has been surprising your clients, what's been surprising the owners about who's producing results and who's not in the context of a remote situation.
1: Yeah. Well, we're a few minutes into this interview, so I'm I'm definitely able to bring up one of my favorite, favorite topics to help agencies actually quantify that, whether the person is in the office or out. I'm always banging on about my favorite book and business methodology is Traction by Gino Wickman. And that's the entrepreneurial operating system. Uh, It is the actual foundation stone for all the successful agencies um, that i've worked with plus that have that i haven't worked with anyone i've i've studied and modeled they have used this system and how that works is that you actually set an accountability chart for your business and what you do is you sit down and you look at all the tasks that need to be done and you group them into roles and with those roles come responsibilities so let's for example take a inbound um, account manager for example we know that that person has to be responsible for the results of the client they have to uh, have a, re- a utilization rate so they have to be billable at a, you know say on average above 70% of their working week has to be billable work and that's a number that you would give them um, and and they have to you know learn how to up opt- they have to be a really good expert in their field so you might um, set a skill score and you can quantify that like they have to be 80 out of 100 or something over a quarter so very clearly now we've got an inbound account manager or just a digital marketing account manager with some clear Clear numbers, responsibilities. They do other things, but they go in every day, making sure that they are achieving those three results with those uh, with those numbers attached to them sure. that are reviewed on a weekly basis. Whether they're doing that at six in the morning until ten, um, being available on Slack for for communication, nobody really cares. It's about results orientation. So highly recommend any agency owner that's here still trying to figure out are my team productive start at the very beginning by reading traction look at an accountability chart and figure out what are the key metrics that you want people to do because working from home does not mean logging on at nine and logging off at five not when you've got kids running around so you might need to just get very very clear about I need that person to do these things by a certain time in the day to be available in a certain form of communication um, available for quick messages on Slack, but they might need to get up at six and have all their work done by 10 because they've got to deal with the kids for a couple of hours. Then they've got to come back for a couple of hours. Then they've got to go away again. So I think our whole day is going to completely change and getting all antsy and sort of, you know, hung up on, you haven't been online all day. It's just not going to cut it. Have they achieved the things that you needed them to do for the people that depend on them? Are they hitting their numbers every week? That's really where you want to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you, you touched on something interesting there. And I think, you know, EOS is is something a lot of our, our audience might be familiar with. And if you're not, I would recommend checking it out. It's, it's definitely a pretty tried and true framework. Um, mm. But I I just feel like there's so many more intangibles now, you know, like, is there benefit from your employees doing nothing, doing nothing that is measurable, uh, measurably beneficial, but is creative and leaves open space to come up with new ideas. Like, how do you do that sort of thing remotely? If everything has to be measured and you're only, you're only heading towards these very specific rigid measurable things is there still can you still get the magic that you normally get you know that's the sort of thing that i I think there aren't there isn't like a clear roadmap on yet and uh yeah and another thing is like the 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 tools like i've always been very skeptical of of things like slack and these sort of uh the instant chat sort of things because it almost feels like a tail wagging dog situation where it seemed like everybody just jumped on them overnight you know without thinking about wh- what they should be used for where they're beneficial what's what's useful and what's not and i i hold out you know so, some measure of acceptance that i could be wrong maybe maybe they they could be really useful for certain things and maybe they are mm-hmm. but, it's, but i'd love to hear your thoughts on that like what where do you think it's useful to have just unrestrained open digital communication versus like leaving people the hell alone to do their work
1: yeah So yeah, let let me tackle those kind of two things. And even though they overlap, let me talk about, first of all, if we're asking for 70% utilization from an employee in the business, uh, that leaves 30% open for training, meetings, admin, breaks, time off, other things as well. Um, An agency only exists if you are doing work the clients are getting results from, in a way that's profitable for your business. There is no other thing. You are not another thing. You have to produce results for clients in a profitable way. So having this, you know, focus on billable, I think it's just super important that people understand that that the only way the business is going to function is if those metrics are met. Now, with that 30% that's there, you know, in some of the agencies I work with, they factor in a good four hours is training time or thinking time or upskilling. So you factor that in, you give them that time, but they must understand that there's 70%. The business is relying on that, that the work is good, it's done efficiently, and the client is getting a result from it. They're happy. That's an agency. That's a professional services business. Um, But definitely, I agree, there has to be thinking time and factoring in for that. Um, But it has to be after the profitable work. The overlap with that as well is, yeah, I agree. Everyone did jump on Slack. But how in goodness name are we even going to be in contact with each other, especially in a remote office, if we don't have some form of whether that's Google Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever it is, the way Slack would work is that you agree as a company what are the times that you're going to be online. So it could be an 8.30 kickoff meeting in the morning um, that everyone's available for the first hour of the day. And then they can switch it off and go, I am I have to block my time. I've got two hours of focused work to do. So they disconnect from that. They're, you also set up channels of communication so that if you are messaging someone about a certain client, the client channel, so that when the person comes back in, they can see everything that's happening with that client. They're up to date. It's like um little war room for the client so they can come back in after they've done their focused work and go, okay, I can see where I'm at with that client as opposed to individual messages. So I think the use of channels, the use of snooze notifications, uh, the use of designated times that it's understood that people are off slack from 10 to 12. If it's an urgent thing, a text message. But you you schedule it. You you're trying to make it like this big communication hub, but everyone agrees on the terms for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And you're reselling me on Slack. Maybe we'll give it a, <laughs> another shot. Let's do We've let's been, do
1: a workshop on it.
0: <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. We've always I'll show been you a very kind of it. like, yeah, yeah. <gasps> We've always been a very deep work centric company, uh, but maybe there's a place for it for sure.
1: Oh, so, and I'm a hundred percent behind. I love Cal Newports. So I've listened to the book a couple of yeah. times. I'm a big fan of it, a big fan of blocking things off. Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 it can be combined. Oh, I totally agree. This constant pinging and I'm, yeah. I'm on about like eight different workspaces right now. If I didn't switch off and monitor that, I, I would never get anything done.
0: Right, right. That, that makes sense. Um, one thing I did definitely want to get to is you know we, we spoke earlier and you were involved uh, in, a, in a major uh, inter- international merger between mm. between you know compiling into one into one agency yes
1: so, that's right avidly yeah
0: yeah and i'd love to talk about you know what what did you learn from that what was it like combining lots of different cultures into one
1: yeah that was um Gee, that was like five different countries, different languages, different nationalities, um, different personalities, uh, different styles. Uh, the the first thing that the one thing was that they were all part of the HubSpot ecosystem. And if anyone knows uh, working with HubSpot, and and this can apply to they might have all been Salesforce resellers, they might have all been Drift resellers. I think if you've got a common ethos and anybody in the HubSpot community knows there's a certain type of personality, they drink the Kool-Aid, they're all part of inbound rah-rah-rah. Uh, those people sort of resonate together and it was interesting. The, in, the initial conversation started by two agency owners at a HubSpot of, a partner event who clicked and talked about sharing leads across the borders, Sweden and um, I think Sweden and Denmark, it just started there, right? And they had a a sort of an affinity of working with each other. They liked each other. Uh, And this is really important as we go into a new phase of working. You might be sitting as an agency owner, thinking about partnering with someone, thinking about merging, thinking about buying. Uh, and, And what I learned through that is, again, it's back to EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. You must have your values clear crystal clear about who you are your own personal values and then the values of the agency and what i've seen over and over again is if your values are clear and you get on with somebody it's probably because you share a lot of common values when you combine that with the values of the agency and the values of their agency that you can that's a really good starting point um if you've ever had that feeling where, you know, a friend introduces you to a really good friend of theirs, um, but you just don't gel. You ever had that feeling? And they're like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Like, I get on with you, you, you know, we get on. Why don't you get on with that person? It's probably because you might have like, let's say three out of the five, your values with that person. Okay. But then there's maybe only one value in connection when you add it all up together. And so that feeling of, mm, I don't really, you know, not really getting it like a, like a connection there with this person in a friendship or in a business or thing, it's values, values are off. And I've seen mergers go ahead in, with other agencies where they acquired an agency and it was only six months after they realized that they didn't check the values and the values were completely off
0: yeah there's there's so much to dig into there um, i I guess the first question is what's what sort of situation do you think it makes sense for an agency to do a true merger or better yet is there is there a way that if you're an agency and you 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 think that a merger might work you already have an an idea for how it could work with another agency what's what's a good way to test the waters how did that in, in your situation with that particular you know, firm. What, what did they? What did they do to, to, to kind of ease into it?
1: Yeah. So first of all, you've got to understand what do you want from the merge. Like what and, and what what do you want in your business? And I, I see this over and again. A lot of agencies haven't got a clear plan. Um not a sailor, but I use a lot of sailing analogy about where are you? What island are you going to? On what type of boat? And with what type of crew do you need? Because if you need a rowing boat, you're in a lake and you only need a couple of people, you're going to have a cruisy little trip, right? But if you need a catamaran because you're doing international competitions and you're going from, you know, (laughs) San Francisco out to Hawaii in a race on a catamaran, that's a different crew. So you have to be very clear about what you actually want in your business and how would that agency take you there is are they going to bring in a certain type of crew that's going to get you there because you have to crystallize that for your own self because everyone in the agency is going to need to have a space and there's no point in two agency owners coming together and they both want the same thing because everyone's got to have the right seat you have to go okay I'm going to be really good at this part of the boat and then the other agency owner is going to be very good somewhere else you can't have two captains just doesn't work so first of all What do you want? Where are you going? When are you getting there? What does it look like? And it is okay right now to make a decision about you like this business, but it's not what you love. So you might be easing someone in to have a part time share in it in the future. So just all the options, put them on the table. And then the next thing is to have a conversation. Just reach out and see where the other person is at. And have they got a clear values? Have they got their clear map and their destination going? Once that's agreed, if it's like, yeah, this could be something, work on one project together.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. And I guess one thing is is just the, the specter of, of uncertainty, right, where, you know, you might be thinking that this is a good direction for your agency to go in. So you're going to go merge with some other agency because they have the skill set that you don't have that you feel like you need. But then the market changes uh, drastically. Rice, there's, yeah. there's, more, there's more of this. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is there a way to, to test people that, that some of our listeners might not be thinking of? Is there, are, are there ways that you've seen this work out well to trial a particular service or develop strategic partnerships or anything like that that jumps out at you?
1: Yeah, it's definitely working on a project together, like coming up with one particular going, hey, do you want to work on with this client together? Or, or I'm thinking about approaching this company. I'd really like to work with them. Would you like to come in with me? And it's an informal thing. It doesn't have to be going down through mergers and acquisitions and paperwork. And you just set up a little project and you work with them and you see what's their skill set? How how did it work? How is their communication? What's their style? You get to trial with the client you might even say to the client hey we're partnering up together it's normally you know ten thousand, but we'll do it for eight because we're trialing something out so you work with someone you've got a good relationship with or a client that's open to that because you've got to make it win for you what are you going to learn win for that agency and win for the client if they're going to be a guinea pig then you need to trial what you think it's going to be doing and then you need to document everything along the way get clear about who's doing what when and where When are the handovers happening? Who's responsible for things? Real clear process documentation.
0: Right, right, and one thing that you you might be on the the forefront of in your position, kind of as an international uh, or European focused agency coach, is you know a lot a lot of what we've encountered sometimes are European agencies that want to sell into the U.S. or vice versa, U.S. agencies that want to sell into, into Europe. Yeah, um, and we we've avoided selling into Europe for our clients because we're like there's entire cultural sensitivities that we don't know. Um, you are you know, it's it's probably better for you to go a different route there. We're mostly U.S. focused as of now, with the exception of some U.K. campaigns and stuff in mm-hmm. Canada we're, we're good at. But I, I guess I'd love to learn a little bit about that. Like, do you have any stories of things that surprise you in terms of cultural sensitivities between agencies, between strategic partnerships across the ponds uh, and so on?
1: Uh, yeah i think I think the biggest thing that i'm I'm sort of noticing over and over again is uh it, with with Europeans they can be quite reserved they they don't say a lot and that can be come across as quite standoffish but if they might not say a lot in a meeting, so I've had this come up over and over again where you'll have a meeting with someone there's loads of people in the room, but nobody has any questions or they don't have any input, specifically with the Nordics, they can be a lot like this. However, if you ask them individually on a tool like Slack, (laughs) not working for them, I promise, but you you will get a lot of feedback. Sometimes people do not like talking in large rooms. Um, total opposite with America. You know, I've, I've worked with HubSpot, i worked in an American company. Everyone has an input, an idea. You have freedom of speech. It's your, it's your right, you know, you, that's the way you were brought up. You, You don't want to leave a meeting without contributing or sharing your idea or moving the meeting forward. So what can happen is you might have a meeting with a European client and you're like, yeah, they didn't say a lot. They might not say a lot if there's more than a few people in the room, but if you reach out to them individually, you'll get their individual attention, uh, and that's just like one cultural thing that I've noticed. Um, and and I can hear that from American companies. They're like, yeah, I don't think they were really, they weren't very vocal, or they weren't very, they weren't uh, very interactive. No, not in a group, but you reach out individually you're going to get the real answer and you're going to and, and just book one-on-one time with people so I think that's the biggest thing is a lot of um w- what I've noticed over the years of working across the cultures is uh one-to-one meetings you know you might do a group presentation one-to-one meetings
0: yeah we're, we're kind of like the the needy puppy dogs of the, of, the, of the world it seems like a lot of the time and that's definitely something I, I've encountered and it, it mm. is it is uh, weird <laughs> from yeah America's perspective and uh yeah it seems like that could inform a lot of how you set up a sales process in Europe as so you have a champion, you have one person, and then you let them bring you into the right rooms and so on so
1: and then you let them ask individual questions afterwards you know you open up a channel and you go yeah. hey you can text me here you can message me here i've set up a slack channel for you you can me-. so because they are you can email me here with any individual questions and and then you can book up a follow-up meeting individually with that person
0: right right that that makes sense mm-hmm. um one thing that i know you're doing a lot of as are we are as we are uh, in a different way, I guess, is, is sending a podcast for your clients. For
1: yeah, podcast right yeah.
0: now, you have one, I have one. Um, but being the, the sales flack that I that I am, I want to defeat all the objections up front. So I think a lot of people, you know, to play devil's advocate are saying, this is a new shiny object. It's hugely time consuming. Everyone okay. and their mother has a podcast. Why should I do it too?
1: <laughs> I love that. I've got this great meme of um, Dr. Evil doing the... <laughs> Everyone's got a freaking podcast. (laughs) It does feel like that, but let me give you some numbers on it. There are 1.7 billion websites in the world, okay? Today, so we're talking beginning of June, there is approximately 1 million podcasts. (laughs) 1.7 billion websites, 1 million podcasts. Out of those 1 million, there's only about 200,000 of those that are actually active, you know, Mr. Joe Rogan being the top of the pile there, right? So there's only 200, there are only 200,000 podcasts that are very active. You and me are one of those active, i.e. more than 15 episodes. That's what we're at, right? It's a really, really small market. And I don't know about you, but the last time I looked at my website stats, nobody was spending 40 minutes, 45 minutes on my website, going through every page, reading everything, but people are listening to pretty much most of a podcast, as long as it's interesting and good content. So they're spending time with you, listening to you know, your, your, me- your messaging, your expertise, your personality, they're getting to know you. And generally they're doing that either out in a walk, out in nature, in, you know, when everyone's back driving in their car, they're on a commute. So they're not even in the office. So you've got a different attention, a different time, a different depth level and a quantity there way more than a website. Plus, you do the content, right? You've got evergreen content. You and I know that we can take this video, which is also audio, and chop this into 10 different pieces of social media content that we can be using this time next year. So the reasons for me, and I'm just in the middle of launching my third podcast. I've, I've had one before and I reiterated it. It's um, coming up to 60 episodes this week. And it's been a huge game changer for my business. And now I'm about to launch a local one because I've realized uh, all my international travel um, is uh, definitely taking a bit of a slowdown. So I'm building a local uh, podcast to connect with the people in my local area.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great idea. And we're, we're definitely doubling down on content as, uh, yeah. <laughs> as, our, as our listeners probably know by now. So uh, that that makes sense. And the the other objection is, you know I let's say I'm an introvert and mm. I'm scared to interview people. It just seems like a huge pain. Like what what do I talk about? Like I, I've got this agency, we've worked all over the map. Like yeah. what should we actually what would be interesting to cover that isn't covered right now? Right.
1: Yeah, so if you, if you wanted to think of your agency, like I always like to use the village analogy. So if you wanted to think of your agency and there was like a thousand listeners, what is that thousand ideal clients and listeners? And maybe out of them, hundred you might work with over a five-year period. Let's say, let's like, just keep it really, really small. I think you've got to go, who, who are those ideal clients? Who do you love working with? Start with the people you know right? That you've had the best time. They had a problem. You fixed the problem. How did you fix the problem? So like a case study, but it's an interview. And you can just start from there. You can have a format. You can have a particular style, particular industry. Um, You can have all different ways of doing it. But I I think of, even if you're an introvert, who do you like having individual conversations with that are your clients? And then when you get those on, they will you can ask them hey can you recommend me anyone else because those people that you like working with have friends have colleagues have industry connections and just keep it to the people that you enjoy talking to and you're recording it you are just going to record it you can get your team to do the editing the cutting that you know in your agency or you can outsource it for very very little but if you really don't want if you are a real introvert there's going to be someone on your team that isn't, so give it to them and get them to do it, because that's giving them an opportunity to grow and share and connect.
0: Yeah, and I, and I found that with our team, uh, th- they've really rallied around doing the podcast work. I mean, it's just been the most the most fun and the most interesting thing that that they're doing a lot of the time. Uh, so I, I, d- I definitely agree with that. I, I think that one you know, objection we've gotten from clients before or not objection, but just one, one thing that's, that's come up a few times is that, you know, I think the most interesting podcasts are the ones where stories are told and there's scars that are bared. And it's, it's honestly like talking honestly about the challenges of running a business and making it work. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people feel like if we do that, we're going to look like less of a sure bet to our potential clients and our current clients. So some stuff we're scared to share because maybe there's NDAs or something. Yeah. Um, we might lose clients from it. I guess I'd love to hear what you would say to that. How do you make a podcast interesting while dealing with that perceived risk, I guess, or that perceived worry?
1: Yeah. So you're going to have a format for the show. You're not going to turn up and just let it all roll. So there's things you're going to ask the the guests, you know, what would you like to talk about? What would you, what's off limits? Let's keep, you know, things, but I mean, people are uh, so, people are looking for reality damn <laughs> you know like yeah. that's the whole thing the world that we're living in right, right now right. we're that's, living that's, in a curated world so
0: that's that's what i'm saying though is how do you balance that so you're if you're, if you're an agency and you've got these big clients you got a lot to lose potentially how do you make a podcast that's still interesting and still lets you bear your scars and tell your stories and give <laughs> listeners the thing that they came there for how much should you be worried about losing clients and that sort of oh. thing
1: Definitely not. And obviously you're not going to interview those clients that are really sensitive and really kind of, you know, oh, I can't talk about that. You're not going to interview the bad clients, right? You're going to interview the good ones. You are going to talk about mistakes and how you overcome them. You're not going to show like, you're not going to make it uncomfortable for them, but you'll have decided what you're going to talk about beforehand. And if you think you can hide things from people, even if you, I ask my agency owners, what mistakes did you make? I want to know because people are going to listen and go, "Geez, I, I was just about to make that mistake. Thank goodness now I don't have to, right?" So we're not live this curated world, this Instagram world, this real you know, this TV, this Kardashian world. That we've just seen the output of that. That's all getting crumbled right now. So a bit of reality, a bit of challenge, um sitting there and going, Oh, do you remember we made that mistake? Oh, I do remember that mistake. Let's talk about how we came over it. Oh, it was really uncomfortable. That's what people are craving right now. They want to learn from people's mistakes. So I wouldn't hide from it at all. It's a really good strength.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would love to start seeing that more instead of just a case study section on the site. Like a imagine if curated. there was a, a mistakes tab at the top.
1: Yeah, how, how went, interesting that would be. This went off kilter. This went out of scope. We had an argument, and then we fixed it up. And this is how we did it.
0: Yeah, that would be a really interesting section of a, of a website if an agency had the had the gall to do that.
1: <laughs> out of scope mistakes. <laughs> There's an yeah. idea for a podcast. You know, you could ring yeah. around and like, why not? Because it's you know, any good agency knows they've always had a hiccup with a client, and you wouldn't be doing a great job. Nothing goes smoothly in agency world. <laughs> yeah, and it'd be great for clients to hear. Oh, it wasn't my agency. It's actually part of the normal thing when you're trying these new things with new marketing technology and new teams and pandemics. <laughs> you know, life's gonna go wrong. Um, but what they want to hear is about that agency who chipped in and had a clear communication plan with the person and talk to them you know yeah. and how they overcame and they'll go oh wow they're real people i want to work with them
0: yeah, i wouldn't I, hide anything i think that bears bears repeating and reminding so that's that's great um can, as we're getting towards the the end of the time here sure. one thing that that you mentioned before we jumped on and that, that i forgot about is that you are a very successful power lifter <laughs> so i'd love i'd love to hear love about it. your your experience there and have you are there any parallels that you've taken to uh to running a business
1: yeah, a lot actually. I'm a late powerlifter, so um, for anyone who's listening, it's a deadlift, bench, um, and squat. I'm I'm bench dominant because I, I just have a, a unusual amount of upper body strength for uh, a chick. Um, my squat and my deadlift aren't so great, um, but I have represented my country in. I was forty. I think the first time I did it, uh, which I'm a late developer. So not too late to try new things is definitely the business parallel that I bring in. Um, And also about mindset, about just having a clear plan. Um, I have a program that when I'm competing, I've got to adhere to um, and just going through the motions of planning of, you know, okay, what am I going to eat on the day? What am I going to wear on the day? What am I going to, um, how am I going to lift like a plan of my numbers and also a lot of visualization, which is just what I talked about at the beginning. You've got to sit down, especially right now and go, okay, I had this great idea for an agency. I, you know, I was in a corporate job and I left the corporate job and I have built this agency and there's eight people here now. We've just come off the back of a pandemic, you know, the world's changing at a rate of knots do I want now? Because the story of leaving the corporate job is not going to get those eight people riled around you, motivated. You've got to sit now and go, what do you want now? Which island are you going to? Where is it? What type of boat do you need? What type of crew do you need? And you've got to map that out. That whole plan needs to be crystal clear because you can't do it on your own. And, And I think... That whole analogy of having a plan and a program—all the things that I've done when I've been competing—it's all the stuff I do with agencies, <laughs> just in a very different way.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense, and that's I think that's that's really cool. Um, for for me, it's been uh, jujitsu and and doing those tournaments, and and I think for right. me, it's 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 simple in that it's it sucks so bad, you know, and it's so nerve wracking to go up in front of dozens of people and and fight somebody that. It makes everything else more bearable, <laughs> you know. So, like when, whenever I've been nervous before, whatever a big pitch or a big interview or something, I, I can just remind myself of having done that, and it becomes a, just nothing, you know. So, I think that's kind of like burning yeah. your hand on a hot stove and taking it off again, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's, and I think this is a great opportunity as well for agency owners. I, I've seen a lot of them have this big, great, big story about, oh, this is why I started the business, and I'm never going to work for the man again, and da 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 da. But you can't build culture, a passion, a vision, a mission, a statement around all of that. And if you don't, if you're not enjoying the journey, I think now more than ever, if you are not rip roaring excited to get back into your office or get back into you know new business with your team, if it's not a wholehearted one hundred percent yes, you really have to seriously consider who you're taking with you on this because. You can't kind of half do it on an, not what we're about to head into for the rest of 2020 and beyond. If your heart isn't in it anymore, that's totally fine. And you know this from Judith. So if your heart isn't in it, you're, you're, you're gone. You're just down face plant on the mat. That You know that because you have to go into this with your heart all in it. And it's okay right now to look around and go, this doesn't know what I thought it was going to be plenty of other opportunities are going to open up for you. Don't be taking a team of people kind of like wishy-washy with it. Um, and it's the same, same thing when I'm competing. If I'm kind of like, mm, I don't think I can lift that. I don't lift it. I never lift it. You know, um, You have to go all in with these things, especially now, and especially taking people and clients with you, taking a team with you, taking clients with you. If you aren't crystal clear, and really super passionate about what you're doing, don't don't be messing around with it, you know.
0: Right, right. I think that's a, a great place to end. So I appreciate it, Cloda. How can people get in touch with you?
1: It's um, growwithgroup.com, or you can go to cloda@growgroup.com, or you can just head on over to any of the podcasts places that you get wherever you listen. I'm on all of them. And it's agency life to um, hear from other agency owners about the highs and lows and some mistakes.
0: Thanks for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Again, if you'd like to get your hands on our latest webinar all about how to sell agency services in uncertain times, learning how to prospect, learning how to get meetings at scale uh, in a tasteful way, in a way that actually works based on what we've learned from working with more than 50 agencies and doing more than 7,000 individual campaigns. You can do that by going to saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting. Again, that's saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting, one word. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.